here that centers our life on worship. And as I said earlier, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not only talks about worship in the Quran, but He also commands it. And that's something very profound. When something is discussed and then it's commanded, this means it's, it's important, right? And of course, worship is the key to our salvation, worshiping Allah alone. As the Prophet said to Sayyidina Mu'adh radiallahu anhu in the hadith related by Imam Muslim that the right of Allah upon you is that you worship Him without any partners. This does bring up a very important question that I've been receiving more than in the past and that is what if somebody was Muslim and left Islam? We ask Allah bil-afiyah. And left Islam and committed shirk. There are some people that have told them Allah will never forgive them and those people, I'm sure they're well-intended because it is mentioned in Surah Nisa twice, Allah forgives all sins except shirk. However, the application of this verse, we have something when it comes to text that people should realize. Number one, we have what's called the Nas, the text. Number two is what's called Tafsirun Nas the understanding of the text. And the third component of a text is what's called tatbiq al-nas, how you apply a text. This is very important. And that's what people are trained to do. Right? When you talk about scholars, this is kind of the frameworks that they come at verses with. So number one is the text, what's called nas. Number two is called the part, the three parts of the text, tafsir al-nas, the proper understanding, tatbiq al-nas, and then the application. And when we look at these texts and we see the understanding of the Sahaba, this did not mean that Muslims who fell into shirk or apostasy could not be forgiven. None of the early Muslims ever said this. So here's someone, they have the text, but they don't have the tafsir of the text. And then their application is wrong. So I want you to remember something very important in the age where it's largely meme-based literacy is you can have a text but if the understanding of the text is wrong then usually the application of the text is wrong so here we see that we look at the majority of what the early muslims have said and also what is clear from other verses of the quran that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to forgive on the day of judgment those who committed shirk but whoever repents, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions clearly in the 25th chapter of the Qur'an, verse number 70, Whoever repents and does good, then they are those Then Allah will change their evil for good. So God forbid somebody may leave Islam because it's a lot of challenges out there nowadays. Instead of castigating that person and pushing them further away from the religion, try to bring them back. And one of the worst things you can tell them is Allah will never forgive you. <laughs> Why would they ever come back? And the Prophet ﷺ, he said in the authentic hadith that the believer is like a horse, Rawahu Imam Ibn Majah, who escapes and eventually comes home. This is very important. So Sayyidina Imam al-Ghazali now takes us on the path of worship. And we remember that the first obstacle he talked about to worship was what? Knowledge. 
The second obstacle which we spent a lot of time talking about was repentance. And now we've reached the three kind of major or four major things that prohibit a person from worship. Living a life of devotion. Number one is dunya, the temporary world. Number two is al-khalq, people. Number four is shaitan, the devil. And number five, a nafs. A number a three, sorry, is shaitan, excuse me. And number four is nafs, our soul. So in this part of the journey, as we talk about the aqabat to worship, we're going to note that dunya, people, and then uh, shaitan, and then the nafs. And what we started to talk about last week, alhamdulillah, as we meet every Tuesday evening, inshallah, at this time, 6.30 p.m. Eastern, is a dunya. And you'll remember that Imam al-Ghazali mentioned that the, the key to disciplining the dunya, and we know that this is what the Prophet feared for us, in nama al-khaf, he said, the thing that I fear most for you is loving this dunya. We know that the Prophet ﷺ, he said to the companions in this hadith also, I believe, is read by Imam Ibn Majah, with a good chain, I believe, I believe also Sayyidina Imam Al-Tirmidhi, that the Prophet ﷺ said, how will you be when all of the nations of the world come together to feast on you? And then the companion said, is it because we'll be small in number? And the Prophet said, no, no, no. Your numbers will be vast like foam on the ocean. But there will be two reasons why this happens. Hub dunya, loving the temporary world and hating death. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Sayyidina Imam Abu Hamad al-Ghazari radiallahu anhu he now talks about the remedies for the disease that the Prophet feared for us the most. Is loving dunya. And it's important to note that there are aspects of the dunya that we, we have to love, that we should love out of our fitrah. That's why the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, that none of you will believe to you love me more than your children and your wealth. The ulama said this is like a hyperbole, because that's impossible. It's impossible, but the Prophet is presenting this kind of, this is the height, this is the standard, this is, you know, like the epitome of it. And also, there's a hub of dunya related to religion. And as Imam Abu Hamid al-Ghazali, rahimahullah, talks about in Ihya'i Ulum al-Din, and Imam Ibn Jawzi, he talks about this in Sayyid al-Khatir, that loving dunya through the use of religion is the most deceptive, difficult challenge that anyone can deal with, because they think they're doing good. And the Prophet said, ما ذئباني جائعان Two hungry wolves let amongst a flock of sheep will do less damage than love of fame 
and dunya through religion. This hadith is sahih. So as we talk about zuhud, we're not only talking about zuhud from the bling, we're also talking about being somebody who is not using religion for fame or money. That's Kalab al-Afiyah. And he presents this question. And this is where we stopped. He said, فَإِنْ قُلْتَ نَفْعَنَ اللَّهُ تَعَلَى بِهِنْوِي فِي دَارَيْنِ أَمِينَ And if you were to say, فَمَا مَعْنَ الزُّهْدِ فِي الدُّنْيَا And the word zuhd means to be indifferent. The word zuhd in Arabic means tark. تَرَقْتُ شَيْئًا زَهَدْتُ شَيْئًا Like I left something. We're going to talk about its meaning later on. It is a state of mind, not what you have. فَمَا مَعْنَ الزُّهْدِ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَمَا حَقِيقَةُ ذَلِكَ Sayyidina Abi Hamid says then, maybe somebody asks, what is zuhd in this world? And what is its reality? He says, فَعْلَمْ أَنَّ الزُّهْدَ عِنْدَ عُلَمَائِنَا رَحِمُهُمُ اللَّهُ تَعَلَى زُهْدًا He said that according to our scholars, there are two types of indifferences to this world, or zuhd. زُهْدٌ مَقْدُورٌ لِلْعَبْدِ a form of indifference which Allah has granted you and I the ability to utilize bi'ithnillah. Because we believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the world is based on three things. The decree of Allah, the command of Allah, and the choices we make. Kasbul abd. The decree of Allah can contradict the command of Allah. Allah commanded everyone to worship Him, but He has decreed that some people won't worship Him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed that the people of, uh, has commanded the people of Mecca to believe in Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abu Jahl, ma amale bi Muhammadin alayhi salam. Abu Jahl, he didn't believe in him. And this is where Muslims get confused about qada and qadr. They don't realize that the qada and the command can be different. They can contradict each other, and that's the test. Why are all these bad things happening? Why is the world falling apart? Doesn't matter. You don't worship the world, you worship the Lord of the world. You don't worship the ahwal, you worship the Rabb of the ahwal. There's something very different here. We're not worshiping the world and where the world goes. We worship the Lord of the worlds. And that's different. And that's what it means to worship Allah as though you see Him even though you can't see Him. So the entire world is falling apart in front of me. Everybody around me is doing haram. But I choose to be with Allah because I worship Allah as though I see Him in this chaos. And that's why Ihsan is the foundation of Istiqamah, Wata'ah. And this is the foundation of Tawheed. And the third is your choice. And we believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us the ability to choose. And this is called Kasb. Bima kanu ya'malun, bima kanu yaksibun. What am I earning through my choices? Every day you're born with a choice and every day you're born, born with a chance and every day you're born with a choice. فَزُهْدٌ maqdur is that indifference to the world that I choose to live by. بِإِذْنِ By the guidance of Allah. الَّذِي قَدَّرَ فَهَدَى Allah says, Allah خَلَقَكُمْ وَمَا تَعْمَلُونَ Allah created you and what you do. But by His mercy and His rahmah, He has allowed me to understand the difference between good and evil. 
إنا هديناه السبيل إما شاكرا وإما كفورا الله سبحانه وتعالى says we showed you how to live you choose Ahmed wa alaykum salam wa rahmatullah so this is zuhdun maqdur and this is three parts to this number one is that I do not desire what I don't have and what this means is what I don't have that, that I, I can live without so it doesn't mean like you know the basic foundations of life what I need to establish my life what I need to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of course I, I seek that but what it means here, tarkul fudul, right? That I don't want what I don't need. Like I'm not falling into the cult of opulence. The Prophet said, "Kun fi dunya ka'annaka gharibun aw abiru sabil." Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wa alihi wa sahbihi wasallam said, "Be in this life like a traveler or a stranger. A traveler takes very little with him or her except what he or she needs." And a stranger will never feel comfortable till he or she returns home. So the traveler is zuhid in dunya. And returning home, the stranger, because Allah says in the Quran, to say to Adam and say to Hawa, minha jami'a. Allah didn't say to Adam and his wife, you too get out of paradise. He said all of you, because all of us were evicted from our home. And our home is Jannah. So we are travelers until wa ilallahi turja'ul umur, until we return to Allah. So the first is tark tarab al mafqood, min al dunya. The third wa tafriq al majmu'ah, and that I separate myself from those things also that are not essential to establishing a life of worship and success in the hereafter. And the third wa tarqi iradatiha wa ikhtiyariha. And the third now deals with psychology. The first two deal with physical acts. I live a life of minimalism. I make certain choices. I live a certain way. That's in the physical. The third is emotional and psychological attachment. Tarku iradatiha. iradati dunya. Wa In preferring it over the hereafter. So the first two, which are within the realm of our control, which Allah has given us, Allah says about Dhul Qurnayn, we established him in the earth. Just as Allah Taala has established Dhul Qurnayn, Allah has established us in a way that we can make choices. So the third, irada deals with the psychological component. Because listen, I can take something from my daughter, but she still love it. Right? I can take the candy from my daughter's hand, she still love it. So I may physically say, you know what, I'm done with dunya. I'm not about this dunya no more. I'm pulling away from the dunya. I'm going to repent and live a life of devotion. But still, internally, I love it. That's why when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talked about the people of Uhud, He said, 
He didn't say, Minkum man yahsulu ala al-ghanimah. He didn't say there are some from amongst you who tried to get the spoils of war. He didn't say that. He didn't talk about the physical. He said, There are some of you who want it. And that's where we stopped last time. On the issue of irada. Of our will. And he says, فَأَمَّا زُهُدُ الَّذِي هُوَ غَيْرُ مَقْدُورِ الْعَبْدِ فَهُوَ بُرُودَةُ شَيْءِ عَلَى قَلْبِ الزَّاهِدِ And then the, the, the aspect of zuhud, which is beyond our control, is the guidance that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will put in our heart. So once someone begins to pull away from the dunya and to discipline his or herself and to pull out from the cult of opulence, and the monoculture largely pushed by a capitalist society, and this doesn't mean other systems of the economy are any better, but this is what we live in now. We live in a world that says the more you have, this is parallel to, the, to you being great. So when someone begins to pull away from that, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, يَحُولُ بَيْنَ الْمَرْءِ وَقَلْبِ As the Qur'an says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes between our hearts and it's there that insha'Allah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring light to our heart in furqana, and bring a certain type of understanding to the heart that we no longer desire and covet the world. So our internal and external begin to align. And that third component which is related to the guidance of Allah is what he means by غَيْرُ maqdur. Then he says, As I said just a second ago, he says that the three components of where you got to work and put forth initiative is the kind of, if you will, segue into the zuhd that Allah will bring to the heart. وَيُفَرِّقُ مَا عِنْدَهُ مِنْهَا وَيَتْرُكَ بِالْقَلْبِ إِرَادَتَهَا وَاخْتِيَارَهَا لِأَجَرِ اللَّهِ وَعَظِيمِ ثَوَابِهِ بِتَذَكُّرِهِ لِآفَاتِهَا أَوْرَثَتْهُ تِلْكَ بُرُودَهِ Allah Akbar. Then he describes this. He says, thus, if a person begins to start to like pull away from the things that are non-essential, and to separate themselves from the things that are not essential to their establishment of their life and to worship, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they do this for Allah, of recognizing the, recognizing the sacredness and awesomeness of Allah and seeking the rewards of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by understanding and thinking deeply about the deception and, and, and trials and fragility of this dunya, then subhanallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring life to their heart. If Jesus, someone is typing, if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is Lord, who did he pray to? If Jesus is Lord, why did he eat? If Jesus is Lord, why did he sleep? Ain't no true Lord eating, sleeping, drinking, or praying to someone else. And in fact, my dear beloved Christian brother, 
If you look in your Bible, you'll see that Jesus prayed, bowing to the ground, alhamdulillah, washing before he prayed, alhamdulillah, just like we do as Muslims, alhamdulillah. And if you are evangelical, there's no way Jesus be, could, could be your Lord because you don't even accept refugees into your own country. And Jesus was a refugee. So may Allah bless you, inshallah, and give you guidance. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. وَهَذَا عِنْدِي هُوَ الزُّهْدُ الْحَقِيقِي And Imam Al-Ghazali says that moment where the heart is impacted by Allah's guidance, then that is really zuhd. So now the psychological component and the external discipline are aligned. And he said, this is really what is zuhd. ثُمَّ أَعْلَمْ أَنَّ أَصْحَابَ الْأُمُورِ الثَّلَاثَ إِنَّمَا هُوَ تَرْقُ الْإِرَادَ بِالْقَلْبِ And this is where we stopped. And he said, out of all three of those, the most difficult is disciplining that inner desire for dunya. The irada of the dunya. إِذْ كَمْ مِنْ تَارِكِ اللَّهَ بِظَاهِرِهِ مُحِبْ مُرِيدِ اللَّهَ بِبَاطِنِهِ فَهُوَ فِي مُكَافَحَاتٍ وَمُقَاسَةٍ Sayyidina Imam Abu Hamad al-Ghazari, he says, how many people left the outer opulence of this dunya, right? But still they love it and want it from inside. And he said, that's a difficult situation to be in. So he says, مُكَافَحَاتْ شَدِيدًا مِنْ نَفْسِهِ like It's not easy. وَشَأْنُ كُلُّهُ فِي هَذِهِ and he said, and this is really the essence of it all. And now watch what he does. Imam al-Ghazali is going to mention a series of verses that talk about relationship to the temporary world, the dunya. And it constantly talks about will. Will. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, after a'udhu billahi min shaytan rajim تَلْكَ الدَّارُ الْآخِرَةُ نَجْعَلُهَا لِلَّذِينَ لَا يَرِدُونَ عُلُوًّا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَلَا فَسَادًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says that this dunya He says that this akhira, we have made it for those لَا يُرِيدُونَ They do not want irada we say is the, the statement of the heart. Qawlu qalb. Right? What, where I'm really at. What moves me, the gas that moves me. So we've made dar al-akhirah, the hereafter, for those la yuriduna uluwan fil ardi wala fasada. For those who do not desire, right, to be lofty in this world. This doesn't mean they don't desire success. That's different. Uluwa means like Fir'aun, man. So then Imam says, Al-Ghazali alaqa al-hukma bi nafil iradati duna al-tarab wal-fi'il al-murad. She said, now if you think about the three things that we talked about that you have to work on, and I have to work, in, work on it in our relationship to the temporary world, that being number one, that I avoid asking for what I don't have. Number two, I leave what's non-essential. He said, none of that is mentioned in this verse. What's mentioned is your will. Because that's the key to it all. 
وقوله سبحانه وتعالى من كان يريد حرف الآخرة نزيد له في حرفه ومن كان يريد حرف الدنيا نؤته منها وما له في الآخرة من نصيب And of course here he's talking about the haram, right? And evil. He's not talking about the halal. So he says, whoever wants, right, the produce of the hereafter, we will increase him or her in that. And whoever wants the produce of the dunya, we will give it to them and they will have no share in the hereafter. So again, irada. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مَنْ كَانَ يُرِيدُ الْعَاجِلَةِ عَجَّلْنَا لَهُ فِيهَا مَا Whoever desires this quick life. عَجَّلْنَا لَهُ فِيهَا مَا نَشَاءُ We will bring it to them quickly. He says, وَمَنْ أَرَادَ الْآخِرَةَ وَسَعَى لَهَا سَعْيَهَا And whoever wants to hereafter and strives for it. And then later the verse says, mashkura." Then that, that struggle is going to be, is, is rewarded. Sayyidina Imam Abu Hamas says, all these verses that we mentioned are all talking about the will. The will of the person. Not to want it. Not to covet it. وَأَمْرُهَا هُوَ الْمُهِمُّ إِذَنْ He said thus, this issue of the irada is very important. لَكِنَ الْعَبْدُ إِذَا وَاضَبَ وَاسْتَقَامَ عَلَى الْأَوَّلِينَ الْأَوَّلِينَ أَعَنِّي التَّفْرِيقِ وَعَدَمَ الْطَلَبَ وَالْتَرْكِ فَمَأْمُولُ مِنْ فَضِّ اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَ وَتَعَالَى أَنْ يُوَفِّقَهُ لِدَفْعِ هَذِهِ الْإِرَادَةِ وَالْإِخْتِيَارِ he says something so beautiful here. Because maybe someone starts to feel hopeless. Like, man, so if I, you know, pull away from things that are, you know, uh, I don't request things that I don't need. Right? I don't seek them. I don't hunt after 85 pairs of shoes. Right? We, we have people now. We have celebrities. We have celebrities that because they're rich and famous, we think they're good people. But in their closets are more than 400 pairs of shoes. I'm not saying those 400 pairs of shoes make them bad people. But it does make them negligent of the fact that in America right now, there's people with no shoes. And we see how capitalism as a system creates a value problem. And the value problem is that the more you have, this means that you're a better person. But that's not the truth, man. So opulence and waste and our here in America in particular for Western American Muslims, we have to be very, very careful because America is the most opulent, wasteful country perhaps on the face of the planet. And the climate crisis, crisis is largely driven by these countries like the United States. Wallahi, I had a sheikh, mashallah, man. I had a sheikh. Sheikh Sayyid Jibril, who's the brother of Muhammad Jibril. And my, my daughter is upset. MashaAllah. And Sheikh Sayyid, uh, alhamdulillah, I read the Quran to him in Egypt, right? My muqarar, my, uh, what I had to memorize in, in Azhar. And I remember when we finished, every year back then it was 
eight juz. Every year you had to finish eight juz, and then you had an exam, an oral exam and a written exam. So when we finished, alhamdulillah, the eight juz before the exam, I bought him some basbusa. It's like a sweet, very famous sweet in Egypt, mashallah. And uh, I gave it to him, right? Sheikh, he was like small, because I was poor. As a student, I was poor. So I, I, I would, you know, what, whatever I could afford, I bought him. So I bought him some basbusa. So like, you know, the end of our class, I gave it to him. Thank you, Sheikh. Like, first of all, like you're a very busy person, very well-respected Qari. And just, you know, being able to sit with you is like invaluable. And, and then I gave him the gift and he refused. So I said, why, Sheikh? And he said, I don't want to talk about it. I know it's a sunnah to accept gifts, but I can't accept money for Qur'an. Al-Shatibi says, وَلَيْسَ عَلَىٰ قُرْآنِهِ مُؤَكِّلًا Someone doesn't use the Qur'an to earn. I say, yeah, yeah, but this is different. Like, you taught me, you sat with me for, for weeks, right? Like, this is just a gift, hadiyah. Then he told me that I do not own a refrigerator and I do not keep food at night in my home. Sheikh is a single man. I am. I do not keep anything in storage because I do not know if I will make it to the next morning. Allahi man told me this, man. I said, wow. Of course, that's a very unique person. But what Imam al-Ghazali is saying here is that you should not give up hope if you begin to try to live a life of discipline and you pull away from seeking things that go beyond what you normally need and from 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 uh, pulling away from opulence, he says, min fadlillahi subhanahu wa ta'ala and you fama'muru min fadlillah, then it is hoped that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will then give you this tawfiq in your heart to not have the taste for the dunya anymore. فَمَأْمُولُ مِنْ فَضْلِ اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَىٰ أَنْ يُوَفِّقَهُ لِدَفْعِ لِهَذِهِ الْإِرَادَةِ وَالِاخْتِيَارِ عَنْ قَلْبِهِ So when he or she begins to live this life of being aware, just take a look at what you have right now and ask yourself, what is helping you reach Jannah? Let me look at my life, what's helping me reach Jannah? I'm not saying I don't have the ability, I'm not going to lie, I don't have the ability to suddenly amputate that. I don't. But I can begin to slowly discipline it and to, to step away from things. And I remember early on in my acceptance of Islam, I, I, I looked at my acceptance of Islam as having too much baggage to get on the plane. So I had to slowly remove that baggage. What was a non-essential item had to go. And I had to make moves. And this is what he's talking about. He doesn't mean do this in one go because that'll break a person. And somebody sometimes when they act out of, you know, kind of like a cathartic reaction, I'm done. I'm done with everything. So that works for a while, but that's a trick of shaitan. Shaitan tries to get us to go too fast, even in our religious growth, so that later on he'll come to us and say, see what you did for Allah. See everything you left. And then he tries to pull you back. And pull me back. So here we're talking about step by step, right? Not just a quick, 
And this needs fiqh, because you might amputate something from your life that you need. And that's why the Sufi can never be free of needing a faqih. Because the faqih is going to say, no, this is haram, this is halal, this is mubah. This is makru, this is permissible, but maybe it's not good for you. That's why Sidi Ahmad Zuruq said, Al-Faqih la yastaghni, Al-Faqih yastaghni an al-Muttasawwif. Wal-Muttasawwif la yastaghni an al-Faqih. And that's why you have to be careful of people who talk about Sufism and have no fiqh. They have Sufism with no halal and haram. This is hawa. This is just desires. But as Imam Junaid said, Rahimahullah, Tariqatuna mabniya ala kitab wa sunnah. Imam Junaid said that the way of Sunni Sufism is bound by the book and Sunnah. And Sayyidina Imam Junaid used to say, إِذَا رَأَيْتَ رَجَلًا يُطِيرُ فِي السَّمَاءِ If you were to see a person flying in the sky, do not take deen from him until you see how he acts with the halal and the haram. Sufism is not New Age spirituality. Sufism is about amplifying and enhancing our ability to be more dedicated to the Sharia. Hmm. So the Sheikh he says, فَمَأْمُرُ مِنْ فَضْلِ اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَلَى يُوَفِّقَهُ لِدَفْعِ هَذِهِ الْإِرَادَةِ وَالْإِخْتِيَارِ Imam Ghazali says, if you start this process of pulling away from things and, 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 and stepping away from wanting things that are not necessarily good for you, then it is hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will guide you and guide me and diminish that tama, that desire we have for the worldly life. فَإِنَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَىٰ الْمُفَضِّلُ الْكَرِيمُ عَزَّ وَجَلُ Because Allah is so bountiful and so generous. You should not frame Allah as your enemy in your growth to Allah. But you should see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the one who facilitates these things for you and loves you to draw near to Him and loves to forgive you. As He says, فَنُيَسِّرُهُ لِلْيُسْرَى يعني whoever مَنْ أَعْطَى وَاتَّقَى وَصَدَّقَ بِالْحُسْنَى فَسَنُيَسِّرُهُ لِلْيُسْرَى Whoever believes and is devout and establishes obedience, we will make things easy for that person. Allahu Akbar. ثُمَّ الَّذِي يَبْعَثُ عَلَى تَرْكِي وَتَفْرِيقِ وَيُهَوِّنُ عَلَيْكَ ذَلِكَ ذِكْرُ أَفَاتِ الدُّنْيَا وَعُيُوبَهَا Then maybe somebody says, how do I do this? Like how do I pull away from the opulence? Because you think about it, man. Everything around you is amplifying the dunya. Everything around you is amplifying the temporary world and increasing the mirage that is the temporary world. Whether it's on social media, whether it's through television, you name it. And that's why religious teachers had to be very careful that they do not celebrate the dunya to the point that it causes their followers and their students to forget the hereafter. The Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ, when he was walking with his companions, he grabbed the 
the ear of a dead sheep to teach them this is the dunya. So even religious content providers, you have to be very careful that in order to be accepted or in order to, to fall into the mainstream, the mainstream doesn't teach deen. The mainstream doesn't hold the line. The line of Islam will be held by a few. But when that line gives in to the whims of the masses, then it has now sacrificed the sacred duty that Allah has given it to remind the Muslims to fear Allah and to live for the hereafter and to be proud to be Muslim and to remember our ancestors and not to be tricked by the powers of the world and to realize that there's no power, no authority, no greatness equal to Allah and that we are the followers of the greatest human being, Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and we should never supplement following him with anything else or anyone else. There is a izzah to Islam. وَلِلَّهِ الْعِزَّةُ to jamia. But if content providers and religious teachers begin to fall for and accept the popular moral current and the popular understanding of religion, even amongst the masses of the Muslims, they will no longer stand in a place where they can discipline the community. To be a sheikh is to be hated. To be an imam is to be hated by somebody. You can't make everyone happy. Allah says every prophet had an enemy. Because you can't speak the truth except somebody's going to be mad at you. And now we see an ummah that loves to go to Dubai. We see an ummah that loves to be flashy. We see an ummah that loves to emulate Western ideas of beauty and fashion and opulence. And if the sheikh is acting like that, or the imam is acting like that, how can they call people to the greatness of the hereafter if they themselves are drowning in the assumed greatness of the dunya? The greatest heroes of our ummah and those who accomplished the most in this dunya were those who are farthest from it. That's the reality of this ummah. We are in the ummah of zuhada, alhamdulillah. Because when you're free from the dunya, nobody can enslave you. So the sheikh says, what is going to help us assume that role is to remember the failings of this world. And its blemishes. So we should just think like, how hard do we toil for this dunya? You know, I learned this the hard way. I don't like to talk about my past a lot because people try to define you by your past. You know, everywhere I go, people mention something from my past. I don't even know where they got it from. But when I was about 16 years old, there was these two really serious gangsters. I'm not going to say names because that's not, that's not appropriate. And we know old school people, we don't drop names. But there were these two gangsters from the West Coast in my high school, in my area, that were very serious 
money-making people. No need to talk about how. This is in the late 80s, early 90s. And they were best friends. And I actually joined their gang. And we thought, and I was very young, we thought that these two people were like inseparable. Inseparable in their love for one another. They lived together. They had a home together. They shared fancy cars together. All of it. Even the same gold chains, right? They would share what we called dookie robes back then. They would share their gold. Gold plated, all this stuff. And at this time, you know, I was still not quite headed. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hadn't turned on the light yet. And then a few weeks later, one of them gets shot 25 times. It's found in the middle of the street in North Highlands. The one from Oklahoma City knows what North Highlands is. You know what I'm talking about. Left in the middle of the street in North Highlands. He lived. He lived 25 times, man. Somebody don't know how to shoot. He lived. Allah had his back. And there's this massive investigation. Who do you think shot him? Who do you think shot him this many times? His best friend. The guy that we thought was so close to him and his crew. But the first person to start to shoot him was the guy that we thought they were inseparable. And you know why he shot him? Because they had $200,000 cash in the car. And at that time, I realized something at a very young age. That this dunya is not good. If it could, if it could separate two people, best friends, leaders of a gang, a large gang in our city. If it could separate them. Two, like, ride or die. Oh, geez. And that's why the Prophet wasallam, he said, what I fear from this ummah is dunya. And he said, shaitan has given up that this ummah will ever commit shirk. The ummah of the Prophet will never commit shirk. The Prophet promised this and the Prophet is not a liar. Those people who say that Muslims are committing shirk, they need to study more. They're confused. But he did say he, shaitan has not given up on creating divisions. And what do we tend to fight over always is dunya. So the sheikh is saying here, Abi Hamid, if you want to help create the capacity to be disciplined, and I, me, Suhaib, he's talking to me too. Want to create the capacity to live right? Recall the afat of this dunya wa uyubaha. The blemishes and shortcomings of this temporary world and the pain and suffering it causes. Then he mentions like a number of people have talked about this from Minhu. If you speak Arabic, you should remember this. Imam al-Ghazali is quoting some of the Salaf who said, Abi Hamad al-Ghazali says, 
that they would say, I left this dunya because of the small amount of its riches. And the abundance of its pain and poverty. And the shortness of its enjoyment. And the treachery of its components. Allahu Akbar. تَرَكْتُ الدُّنْيَا لِقِلَّةِ غَنَائِهَا وَكَثْرَةِ عَنَائِهَا وَسُرْعَةِ فَنَائِهَا وَخِصَّةِ شُرَكَائِهَا Then he mentions one of the scholars who said لَكِنْ يَجِيءُ مِنْ هَذَا رَائِحَةُ رَغْبَةَ الْفَائِحَةُ Then his shaykh, the shaykh of, of Imam Al-Ghazali, one of his teachers said, however, actually in this statement, there's still an unhealthy attachment to the dunya. <laughs> the statement that I just quoted. Because for someone to complain about something means that they would actually love to be connected to it. And someone who leaves something because all of the people in it are evil, that means that he or she wants to be in it with it alone. So Imam al-Ghazali Shaykh about the statement that I just mentioned. He said, And here you see something. He said, no, 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 no. That statement is not good because in that statement, actually hidden in that statement that I left the dunya because, you know, it doesn't have a lot of benefit and it has a lot of suffering and that the people in our evil. He said, actually, that means that it's not the dunya that's the problem. It's the things around it that you mentioned that's the problem. But the real definition should be, I left the dunya because it's the dunya. That's it. <laughs> I hope I can explain this in English, man. What he's saying is, if I say, I left the dunya because, you know, there's not a lot there for me. So I'm leaving because it's not a lot there, not because it's the dunya. And I left the dunya because its pain is a lot. Well, if there wasn't pain there, then you would want the dunya. And I left the dunya because the people in the dunya are evil. Then it's not the dunya that's evil. It's the people. So the sheikh says, وَهَذَا فِيهَا رَائِحَةُ الْفَائِحَةَ لِأَنَّ مَنْ شَكَى فِرَاقَ أَحَدٍ أَحَبَّ وِصَالَهُ وَمَنْ تَرَكَ شَيْءٍ لِمَكَانِ الشُرَكَاءِ فِيهِ أَحَبَّ he says, Rahimahullah, that when you say you want to leave it because it doesn't have a lot for you, it, well, if it has a lot for you, then you would want it. And if you said if you left it because the people in it are all corrupted, then you would love to be alone with it. So in this statement and in this definition, there is a problem. And now we see the Sheikh of Imam Abu Hamid He's looking at this from a deeper psychological perspective. Listen to this, everybody. Wallahi, you should get as many people on Instagram as you can now. Wallahi, listen to this definition. When I read this definition, I realized I have a lot of work to do on myself. I have a lot of work to do on Suhaib. Listen to the definition that he says. He says, in and this is the Shaykh. And the proper statement that should, should be said about all of this, what is correct in this regard, 
What is correct in this regard, he said, is this definition. That the dunya is the enemy of God. Imam al-Ghazali said the correct definition is this, that the dunya is the enemy of Allah and you love it. Suhaib, you love it. May Allah forgive me. وَمَنْ أَحَبَّ أَحَدًا أَبْغَضَ عَدُوَّهُ And is there anyone that loves something and loves its enemy at the same time? Is that possible? So when he was criticizing, just to repeat, the definition, I think we're breaking the Instagram, mashallah. We're breaking the gram for Rabbul Anam. Sheikh, he said that Zuhd, or to talk about the reality of dunya, or those things we mentioned, and then he says, no, 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 that's not correct. Because the definition is centered around what's in the dunya, not the dunya itself. But the real definition, the correct definition should be, إِنَّ الدُّنْيَا عَدُوُّ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلَّ وَأَنْتَ مُحِبُّهُ وَمَنْ أَحَبَّ أَحَدًا أَبْغَدَ عَدُوَّ He says that the dunya is the enemy of God. وَأَنْتَ مُحِبُّهُ And you love it. You love the dunya. وَمَنْ أَحَبَّ أَحَدًا أَبْغَضَ عَدُوهُ And how could anyone love something and then also love its enemy more or less is the meaning. قَالَ لِأَنَّهَا فِي أَصْلِهَا وَسِخَةٌ جِيفَةٌ أَلَا تَأْرَى أَنَّ آخِرَهَا إِلَى الْقَذَرِ وَالْفَسَارِ وَالْتَلَاشِ وَالْإِضْمِحْلَارِ وَالنَّفَادِ أو النفاد. He said, yeah, he said, think about the end of dunya. What is the end of dunya like? It's rotten to the core. Have you ever seen the corpse? You want to understand how death is? Every morning, smell your breath. Imagine if you're dead for an hour, how your breath will smell, how my breath will smell. Have you ever smelled a cadaver being cut open? That's why Imam al-Busti said, Ya khadim al-jismi qam tashkha. Imam Al-Busti, he said, you serve in your body, you're just like going crazy, but eventually it's going to break down. He said, but in reality, that the dunya, I'm going to just give a rough translation, is incensed with filth and decorated with pollution. And only a negligent person would fall for its external beauty. In reality, And only the intelligent people will be away from it. 
Now Imam Al-Ghazali brings up another question. فَمَا حُكْمُ الزُّهْدِ فِي الدُّنْيَا Maybe somebody ask, what is the what is the ruling of being indifferent to the dunya? What is the fiqh of it? Yeah, I think Instagram is breaking because, mashallah, a lot of people jumping on. Thank you, and my mother-in-law is... Everyone make dua for my mother-in-law. Look, she's so nice. Mashallah, we got smoothies, but you know. Yeah. Maybe somebody will ask, what is the ruling for being indifferent to the dunya? Is it fard? Is this something I have to do? Or is this something that I voluntarily do? And now we see Imam al-Ghazali centering tasawwuf on fiqh. This has to happen. Because tasawwuf without fiqh leads to lacks and negligence. And fiqh Without tasawwuf leads to harsh-heartedness and a lack of empathy. So that's why some of the salaf used to say, Imam Malik, he didn't say this. But some of the early people used to say, Man tafaqqaha, walam tasawwafa faqad tafasaqa. Right? Whoever, whoever tafaqqa, walam tasawwaf, that person is going to have a harsh heart. And whatever has Sufism without fiqh, then that person is going to be lost. Imam Shafi used to say, Sufiyan wa faqihan fakun laysa wahidan. Sayyidina Shafi used to say, Don't be a faqih or a Sufi, be both. Hada qasin lam yadhu qalbuhu tuqa. Because the faqih without tasawwuf is going to be harsh-hearted, never tasted taqwa. وَهَذَا جَهْلٌ And that's an ignorant person. وَكَيْفَ ذُو الْجَهْلِ يَسْلُحُ لَا الْمُتَّصَوِفَ مُشْ كُلُّهُمْ أَهْلُ بِدَعِ لِأَنَّ إِمَامَ السِّيُوتِ كَانْ مُتَّصَوِفَ وَإِمَامَ قُرْتُبِ كَانْ مُتَّصَوِفَ وَمُعْذَمَ الْعُلَمَاءَ أَهْلِ سُنَّةَ كَانْ مُتَّصَوِفِينَ This is the, the problem now of shallow knowledge. We see someone in Arabic saying, the majority of people of Tasawwuf are bid'ah. This is nonsense. This is propagated by the Saudi state in particular at a time when it wanted to remove Sufis from Saudi Arabia as a government. This is just a historical truth. What they've changed, I guess, now from what I've heard. But they removed the Mutasawifa and they justified doing so by calling them bid'ah. But this is nonsense. I encourage anybody, anybody to go and read history. Go and read history. If you don't read history for yourself, it becomes his or her story. But don't fall for this nonsense. Somebody asked, what's the ruling of zuhd in dunya? And also, uh, one more thing I want to say. I see also someone saying Wahhabis. This, listen, this is not a kindergarten class. We don't call people names in this class. If, if you want to call people names, there's a kindergarten class. You can find it anywhere. But this is a class for people who want to learn and be better people and want to heal the ummah. You throwing names and terms and this is not going to bring any healing to people. So again, just to say this because we're going to 8 o'clock today for NYU people. I do not welcome name calling, belittling, ridiculing. There's no nur in that. There's no nur in any of that. You can be constructively critical. Allah bless you. 
but I'm not, I ain't about it. I'm not about that. I'm not about that at all. And inshallah, may Allah forgive us. But this is a class for people who are mature. People who know that act. You wouldn't do this in a classroom. I like to tell people, act in the comments box like you would act in, in person. Ain't nobody going to stand up in the, in the classroom and be like, uh, Ain't nobody going to yell that in the classroom. And my brother, I know you're passionate and I understand where you're coming from. Wahhabis, Wahhabis, you ain't going to do that in the classroom. So act. Uh-oh, we have a special guest. Mashallah. What's going on? Water is in your hand. There's water right there in your hand. What's that? That is a smoothie. What's that? That's an empty glass. What's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? Wallahi, ma'adri. So, for those brothers and sisters, mashallah, who want to come in and yell and call people names and all that and attack Shia and Sunnina, you're in the wrong classroom, man. You're in the wrong place, bro. This ain't this ain't this ain't the kitty. This ain't the sandbox, man. This is not the sandbox. You're in the presence of people who know, and you should act like that. And the people who know should act as though they are in service to the ummah. That's it, man. Sheikh, he says, what? Maybe someone asked, what's the rule of of zuhd? Like, do I have to leave this world? How do I do it? He said. That zuhd falls into two areas. Number one, the halal and the haram. So zuhd from the haram is fard. So I'm indifferent to evil. I, I, I do not engage. And in fact, the opposite, I push back against evil. I call to truth. So I'm zahid from the haram. This is fard. And to be away from things that are halal is nafal. It's not fard. Allah Akbar. He says, as for the things that are haram, that, you know, are going to compromise our obedience, our indifference from those things which are forbidden is like our indifference in staying away from meat which is forbidden. Meat which is forbidden. So you think about it in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And the Quran allows us to uh, allows us in, in the face of death, the threat of death, to eat from haram. To eat from haram. However, however, there's an axiom that we need to understand here. When he says, the Sheikh is saying that our zuhd with haram is like our zuhd with haram meat. 
The only time we approach haramid is in the face of the threat of death. And we have a very important axiom that says, That the forbidden are permissible according to the amount I need to protect myself. Uh, uh, excuse me, it says which means that the necessities allow the haram according to how much is needed to protect that, that necessity. So like if I'm dying, I can throw down on some bacon if it's going to sustain me. If I'm, on a strand, if I'm stranded on an island, for example, and there's only a pig, I can hunt me some pig and that's the only thing I can eat, but I can only use as much as I need to survive. The axiom is very important. So the Sheikh is saying, your zuhd from the haram should be like that. As for zuhd from the halal, and he says, but according, and I don't want to talk about abdal now, this is long-term terminology we need to study, but according to the righteous people, they treat zuhd from the halal like they treat zuhd from the haram. And they take from the halal only that which they need. So for them, for them, for them, right? They treat the halal like the forbidden. That's a higher level of zuhud. He said, as for the haram to those righteous people, they treat it like fire, like the fire. They have, they have nothing to do with it. And they have no intention for it. And this is the meaning of the, the second component of zuhud, that internally the person has pulled away from the delights of this world. They have no longing for the delights of this world. And... They even treat the halal as though, you know, it could cause them problems. Then he, as we finish now, he mentions a very important statement. If you were to say, if you were to say, how could the dunya ever be like this to me, man? I love Sephora. I love the mall. I love getting lost in the Amazon, not the jungle. I love my phone. I stood in line for hours for a PS5, but I can't pray Fajr. I love it. I love cars. How could the dunya ever be like this to me? Wal binyatu binyatuna. Its pleasure is our pleasure. And, you know, its reality is our reality. Sheikh, he says, 
فاعلم know أن من وفق التوفيق الخاصة وعلم أفاتها know that the person that Allah has truly guided and that person listen to this as we finish today that person truly understands the dunya I wish I was like this وقدرها and its filth في أصلها its intrinsic evil and filth فتصير عنده كذلك then dunya will be like that to that person فإنما يتعجب من هذا الراغبون العميان عن عيوب الدنيا وأفاتها المتغرون بظاهرها وزينتها And he said the only people that have this kind of objection and find this incredible are those people who truly covet this dunya and are blinded by the dunya unable to see its shortcomings in its disgusting corrupted reality So he says, listen to this, man. This is dope, and I'll finish. And again, for everybody watching, listen, man. I'm I'm the most in need of this. So by no means am I here like I'm some kind of special person who has this on lock. I, I don't. I, I got a lot of work to do. He says, I'm going to give you a parable that will help you understand this. What is it that will allow us to, to operate in the dunya properly? What is that variable factor? He says, فَعْلَمْ أَنَّ هَذَا يُمَثَّلُ بِإِنسَانٍ صَنْعَ خَبِيصًا He said, a parable for this is like somebody who cooked khabis. If you're from the Khalij, you probably know what is khabis. بِشَرَائِتِهِ مِنَ السُّكَرِ وَغَيْرِهِ The example of this is like someone who prepared khabis. Khabis I'm just going to say this so people here can understand it. Oatmeal or grits. Although that's not what it is, but nobody here probably knows what is khabis. Bisad, yani. Whoever, you know, cooked and baked khabis, right, with all its proper ingredients. Bishara'itihi mina sukari wa ghayri. With sugar and all its other ingredients ثُمَّ طَرَحَ فِيهِ قِطْعَةَ سُمْ and then put in it some poison so whatever your favorite dish is Imam al-Ghazali says imagine somebody is preparing your favorite dish maybe it's gulab jamun, maybe it's harir maybe it's fasanjun, maybe it's biryani if you're an American convert maybe it's brisket Not khabis is in slang. Khabis, this is slang from khabith, habibi. Pay attention. Khabisa, bisad does not mean that. Khabis is a dish. You can search it online. It's made out of flour. Super heavy. And that's not the point anyways. But nobody here is saying khabis. Khabis, yani bitha. Hadha la yumkin. Habibna. So somebody makes a nice dish, whatever your favorite dish is, and they put in it a little bit of poison. That is deadly. And you saw that. And someone else didn't see it. So you saw the person that were making your favorite dish, you were excited, and then you saw that they put that poison in it. And someone else didn't. Then, وَضَعَ الْخَبِيسَ أَمَامَكَ بَيْنِ يَدَيْكِ مُزَيَّنًا 
muzakhrafan. They put that dish in front of you looking good, man. Looking perfect. Five stars. فَرَجُلُوا الَّذِي أَبْصَرَ مَا جُعِلْ For the person who saw that poison put into that dish, what do you think they're going to do? Are they going to eat it? Are they going to eat from that dish? الَّذِي أَبْصَرَ وَضَعْ هَذَا السُمْ الْقَاتِلِ فِي الْخَبِيسِ هَلْ مِنَ الْمُمْكِنِ يَأْكُلُ مِنْهُ هَذَا لَا يُمْكِنِ There's no way if you saw someone put poison in food, no matter if it's your favorite food, you would never touch it. You know what that's called when you don't touch it? You're Zahid. Allahu Akbar. Look at Imam Ghazali. He said, this is how you know because the Prophet told you there's poison in the dunya. There's poison in the app store. There's poison online. There's poison in this dunya. And because you have Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he told you that. So how would you act then? He says, لا يخطر ببعره أن يتناور منه بحال البتة ويكون ذلك عنده بمنزلة النار. There you go. And he said, this is how you should think about it. That individual who saw that other person put poison in the food, that food is going to treat it as though this is أعوذ بالله. I ain't touching it. I don't want it on my table. I don't want it in my house. If someone said that dish has poison, would you even allow it in your house? Would you even allow it in your home? Of course not. You throw it in the trash. That's being Zahid. And would you be, would you be would you be deceived by the beauty of that dish? Even if you know that person, they put that poison in the dish, but they decorate, what are looking good? Would you be deceived by its beauty? Would you be deceived by its shine? Would you be deceived? Would you be blinded by the bling? No. Because you know there's poison in it. وَأَمَّا الَّذِي لَمْ يُبْسِرْ مَا جُعِلَ فِيهِ اِخْتَرَّ بِظَاهِرِهِ وَالْمُزَخْرَفِ But as for the person who didn't see the poison put in that favorite dish of theirs, and the dish was presented beautifully and nicely, mashallah, celebrity bake-off, would that person be deceived by how it looked on the outside? Absolutely. In fact, he said, that person will guard it. Yo, this is mine. This is my dish. This is my Michelin star. And he would not be able to be patient from not eating it. Lord have mercy. And they would be amazed by the other guy, like, why aren't you eating eating it? Why aren't you eating it? The person that knows there's poison in it, I'm good, bro. The person that has it, why aren't you? They would think that person is an idiot. They would think that that person is, 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 is insane, that that person has like serious issues. 
فيتعجب من زهده وربما يسفه في ذلك فهذا مثل حرام الدنيا مع البصائر المستقيم والجهار الراغبين he said in fact he may even chastise the other person and make fun of that other person for not participating in what he does not know has poison in it and this is where we're going to stop inshallah and what imam al-ghazali is saying is the variable factor that will allow us to live responsible lives and lives of discipline is knowledge is knowledge knowledge of this dunya as defined by the quran and sunnah next week inshallah ta'ala we're going to finish hopefully this section on a dunya and start to talk about people and next week we'll be back in new york city alhamdulillah uh, rabbil alameen if we have any questions we can take them it's almost time for maghrib here in washington dc uh, and just a quick announcement, one of our regular attendees here at NYU, uh, Brother Yuzaidi from Malaysia. Man, this brother joins all the way from Malaysia. Allahu Akbar. Every, every week, his mother passed away today. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bi asma'ihi kulliha wa sifat al-ula. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about all of his names and attributes to forgive his mother. Uh, tonight, his mother with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and to unite Yuzaidi in the future with his mother. And that we ask Allah to guide Yuzaidi and his family to be ala al-haq so that that truth will bring light to the grave of his mother and blessings to his mother. Uh, Rahimahullah ta'ala. Are there any questions here and also in the 